Hello adventurers. Are you looking for an actual play with excitement, humor, narrative, lore, and character development without all the sidebar and pop culture goofs? Look no further than Lawful Great Adventures. What makes Lawful Great Adventures so great? Our goal is to stay in character for the duration of the episode as much as possible without a bunch of sidebar, without a bunch of talking about stats, and deliver you a story worth listening to through the eyes of our four characters, Theo, Finn, Fane, and Warren, as they journey across a hostile world trying to get home. We are hosted on Anchor. Check us out on Twitter at great underscore lawful, Facebook, Lawful Great Adventures, or anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thank you. following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old-school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. The last episode began with a somber funeral rite for the two fallen spearmen, Eiffelt and Mun. Once the soldiers had been put into the ground, the party took an inventory of everything useful found in the goblin caves. Apart from some treasure in the form of gold and jewelry, the party found a potion, which Umura correctly identified as a potion of invisibility, and Eridine's thieves' tools, which were discreetly returned to her. At the tail end of the episode, the point of view switched to that of the goblin raiders, returning home somewhat dejected and worried after a failed raid. When they reached their home, they quickly found the evidence of a battle with, and the defeat of, their leader. They rushed to the cave mouth in a fury, hungry for revenge on whoever had done it. Chapter 16, Part 1, Day 19, Pre-Dawn, Party Status, Mulgi, 6 of 6 hit points, Aurea Santanier, 2 of 2 hit points, Captain Tor, 17 of 17 hit points, Riley the Roach, 7 of 7 hit points, Thern, 19 out of 19 hit points, Harl, 5 out of 5 hit points. Kagan, 
16 out of 16 hit points. Eridine, 8 out of 8 hit points. Gyrios, 14 out of 14 hit points. Umura, 10 out of 10 hit points. Spells available. Umura has memorized Light and Shield. Gyrios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds. Due to the goblin's agitation, they'll be surprised. This gives the party a free round of action. Here's what happens. Umura casts the spell Light on one of Riley's arrows, and he shoots it at the cave mouth when they see the goblins return. There's very little light here, so I'm not going to even make a two-hit roll. I'll just say that he hits nothing. Still, the aim is to temporarily blind and confuse the goblins while putting light on targets for everyone else. So in this sense, the shot is a good one. How many of the goblins are congregated here? I'll say between 10 and 20 of the 20 goblins are grouped at the cave mouth. I'll use a d10 and add 10. 16 goblins are here. Eridine is in a makeshift crow's nest 60 feet above the goblins. When she's able to see them, she'll pour the contents of one or two clay pots into the goblins' midst. Each pot contains a mini green slime. I'll say that she can deliberately hit three of them with it. This hit is automatic. The three goblins that are hit will be dead in five rounds if they cannot burn off the slimes in time. The rest of the party is arranged some distance away and hidden in the trees in a semicircle around the cave. Kagan and Tor each have one of the goblins' bows and several arrows at the ready. They fire into the crowd. These goblins have an AC of six and five hit points each. Kagan and Tor will need a 13 or better to hit them. I've rolled a nine and a nat 20. That's one miss and one definite kill. Thern and Harl are at either side. They'll leap out from hiding and attack if any goblin tries to escape their kill zone. Round two, initiative. The goblins, a one, the party. Five. The goblins are stunned and confused. Before they can react, Eridine dumps the contents of her second pot. Three more goblins are slimed. Kagan, Tor, and Riley all fire into the cluster. They each need a 13 to hit. I've rolled a 4, an 11, and a 15. That's one hit. Four, five points. Another goblin drops. 14 remain six of which are being consumed by slime and will be dead soon. The remaining run in every direction. Three goblins retreat into the cavern to join the four who did not race to the entrance right away. Everyone else runs directly into a human or a dwarf waiting in ambush. Two of the goblins cut left where they're blocked by Thern. He'll get a free attack on them before the next round. Thern gets a 14 and, leaping from concealment, hammers one of them with his mace. He does. Three points of damage. Two other goblins race towards Umura and Riley. These two cannot take any further action this round, but they do try to block the goblins' escape. Kagan and Tor have also acted this round and can only move to block the fleeing goblins. 
Parl is positioned to the right of the cave mouth, a mirror image to Thern. He gets one free swing with his axe. A 13 is enough. The battle axe delivers six points of damage and puts the enemy down for good. <laughs> Round three. No more surprises. No more attacks of opportunity. All of our opponents are now face to face. Initiative. The goblins. A three. The party. A four. The party will act first. Thurn swings at one of the goblins. With a six, he misses. Umura takes a step back. She does not want to be involved in a hand-to-hand -hand combat. Riley, with his hand axe, swings at the goblin. He's got a 17. Four? Five points of damage. He slams the axe into the goblin's shoulder, who wobbles before falling over, dead. Kagan swings at his goblin. A 12. That's a hit. Four? Six points. Another goblin goes down. Tor launches his attack. A 15 is a hit. But for just two points of damage, the tip of his sword draws a black line of blood across the goblin's chest. Harl had a great last round. Let's see how he does now. Not 20. He lifts the battle axe out of the corpse of the first goblin and drops it directly onto the second. That's two swings and two kills for this young dwarf. Eridine in the crow's nest lets the clay pots that had the slimes fall. She definitely doesn't want them anywhere near her. She pulls something new from her pack. During this entire encounter, Gyrios has been hanging back, protecting the prisoners in case things go sideways. Now it's the goblins' turn to act. They'll need to make a morale check here to see how they proceed. Their morale is a seven. I've rolled a seven. A tie means that they'll stay. Perhaps they're unaware of how badly this fight is going for them. Thern faces two of the creatures. They'll definitely try to take him down. But Thern wears plate mail and carries a shield. The goblins will need a 17 or better to hit him. The first one attacks. A 13. Thern knocks the blow to the side with his shield. The next goblin. This goblin has rolled a 1. Thern parries the knife and the goblin drops it. Riley faces off with another one of the goblins. An 11. It swings and misses. Tor also faces a goblin. Nat 20. Tor's bad luck with goblins continues. He takes... Nine points of damage from a rusty short sword. It leaves a nasty wound on his sword arm. Seven goblins still remain in the cave. They could organize and rush out, but they're leaderless and need to pass a kill zone. I'll make another morale check, I think. I've rolled a nine. They're going to stay inside for now, arguing about what to do next. I might need to roll again every round. Round four, initiative, the goblins, a two. The party? A two. That means the action happens simultaneously. Thern swings his mace. He's rolled a 14. That's a hit. Four? Three points. That's enough to kill the injured goblin who dropped his knife earlier. Umura will spend her turn pulling out her silver dagger and aiming a shot. Riley swings his hand axe. With a 12, he just misses. Kagan joins Riley and swings his hand axe. A 14 hits for seven points of damage. K 
Kagan hits it so hard, the goblin twists in the air before hitting the ground. <laughs> Tor will try to hit his goblin too. A 12 misses. Lucky for the goblin as it's wounded and has just three hit points left. But Harl is now free to join Tor and swings his deadly axe. A 17 is a hit. Five points takes this goblin out of the fight. Eridine in the crow's nest will attempt to light a Molotov cocktail made out of two flasks of oil and a wine bottle. She'll have to make a dexterity check to get it lit. Flint and steel are not so easy to use, especially when you're balanced on a tree limb 60 feet in the air. She's rolled an eight. That does it. She drops her flaming bomb and it explodes below. It does five points of damage and kills the six goblins who are about to be consumed by the slime anyway. The slime itself is destroyed. The cave mouth is now a roaring inferno. It's the goblins' turn, and they act at the same time as the party. One of the two that went down will get a chance to hit. The other was under a critical fail penalty and will not. There's a goblin attacking Thern. It needs a 17 to hit his AC of two. It rolls a three. The blow harmlessly bounces off Thern's plate mail armor. There's a goblin attacking Tor as well. Tor has an AC of four. The goblin has rolled an 18. Boy, Tor has got bad luck with goblins. It gets in one final slash, doing another four points of damage. Tor is now down to only four hit points. He's hurt really badly. Of the seven goblins in the cave, three of them have bows. The other four have knives, axes, and swords. The three with the bows can fire at Kagan, Tor, Riley, or Umura. Everyone else is out of their line of sight. The ones with handheld weapons will rush out if they can pass a morale check. I've rolled a nine. They fail the check and will stay inside. Now I need to find out if the wall of flame from the Molotov cocktail will ruin the archer's shots. I'll just roll a high-low on a die 20. High means they can take the shot. I've got a 19. They can. They loose their arrows before the orange flames jump up and smoke fills the cavern. Three arrows. One for each Umura, Riley, and Tor. Luckily, Umura has cast her spell, Shield. It gives her an excellent AC of two versus missile weapons. This goblin needs a 17. A 12. The arrow sails harmlessly past her. There's another arrow headed Riley's way. An eight. That's another miss. Finally, one of the arrows is fired at Tor. We know that Tor is very unlucky with goblins, and a single hit at this point could kill him. The goblin needs a 15 to hit his AC of 4. I've rolled a 1. The shock of the explosion has caused this goblin to make a wild shot. Round 5. Initiative. The goblins? A 4. The party? A 3. The goblins will act first. At this point, only 6 goblins remain. I think a final morale check is in order. I rolled a 9. They failed to check. When the fire dies down, all six goblins are found at the entrance with their weapons thrown aside. They are kneeling and have their foreheads to the ground. In their guttural language, they beg to be spared. We were actually, uh, me and my friend here. It points to a cat. 
Well, your friends with a cat. Yes, he's he's one of those uh, Dreamlands cats. So uh, he's more than a cat. Yes, and he is very lucky to consider myself his friend. What did he say? He said that I was lucky to consider myself his friend. Oh, okay. I, I do feel that way. Okay. Uh, I don't have too many friends. You really aren't that bright, are you? No. hey it's me adam the dm over at microphones and monsters you just got done listening to a short clip from our show microphones and monsters is a cthulhu mythos fifth edition actual play podcast we ask you to join us every week monday and friday you can find us on your favorite podcatcher twitter facebook and instagram you can find all of our links at microphonesandmonsters.com Chapter 16, Part 2, Day 21, Morning, Party Status, Captain Tor, 13 of 17 hit points, Riley the Roach, 7 of 7, Thurn, 19 of 19, Harl, 5 of 5, Kagan, 16 of 16, Gyrios, 13 of 14. Eridine, 8 of 8. Umora, 8 out of 10. Umora has memorized Hold Portal and Charm Person. Gyrios has no spells remaining. He has used the spell Cure Light Wounds each day to heal Captain Tor and Umora. After several days, the party found themselves back on the south road, halfway between Brennan and Burke. After all you people have done for me, I... I can't... I can't accept this. Umura would not take back the small pouch, but instead closed Oria's fingers around it. It's yours, Oria. You've earned it. Now, travel safely. I hope you find your son. The other woman turned to leave, but then turned back. She moved close to Umura, bringing her lips up to the magic user's ear. I... I didn't... I mean... I couldn't do it. She whispered. Umura put her hands on the woman's shoulders. You don't need to explain yourself to me or anyone else. With that, the woman turned and walked away along the south road in the direction of Brandon. Suddenly feeling the morning chill, Umura wrapped her new woolen cloak about her. After her clothes had been destroyed by the green slime Vashuk had hurled at her, Umura had borrowed Tor's cloak to keep herself covered. However, after ambushing the goblin raiding party, they had discovered some simple women's clothing among the goblin's plunder. She had returned Tor's cloak, and was now dressed in an undyed linen shift, the sleeveless tunic over top. The brown woolen cloak was necessary to keep off the chill at night and in the morning. What was all that about? asked Kagan. He was kicking dirt over the remains of their campfire as the others packed their gear. Umura said nothing in reply. I guess it's none of my business. Sorry, I shouldn't have asked. No, that's all right, said Umura finally. It's not a secret. She just wanted me, anyone, to know she didn't do it. Oh, I see, said Kagan. 
two days previous, the group had set a trap for the goblin raiding party. The trap, once sprung, resulted in the deaths of 14 goblins. Six had surrendered and become the topic of debate amongst the party members. Umura, Captain Tor, and the two dwarves had wanted to kill them all. Umura had mentioned that she would no more show mercy to an infestation of rats. And goblins are much worse than rats, Harl had agreed. However, Kagan, Riley, Eredin, and Gyrios had not been so sure. Gyrios especially reasoned out loud that they were becoming as pitiless as the goblins were. He worried about their souls, if they were to continue along this path of destruction. In the end, they came to a compromise. All six prisoners were tightly bound, gagged, and dragged into the guardroom. After, Oria had been presented with a knife and Umura's lantern, and then sent into the caves alone. Tor instructed her that she should do whatever her heart told her was just. They would be right there if she called, and they would never ask her what she had done inside. Oria disappeared down the tunnel and returned some 15 minutes later. Her eyes were red-rimmed and her cheeks were raw. She numbly handed the knife back to Tor, who then placed it in Mulgi's hands. The dwarf waved off the lantern as he walked inside. He was gone for a considerably longer time. When he returned, he looked... the same. As had been their arrangement with Oria, nobody spoke about it. They had simply shouldered their packs and headed east. Chapter 16 Part 2 Day 23 Late Afternoon Party Status All party members are at maximum hit points. Umura has memorized Old Portal and Charm Person. Gyrios has prayed for Cure Light Wounds. Two days of travel and two roadside camps later, the party re-entered the township of Burke. The nights had been trying. The light and heat of a campfire was certainly enjoyed by everyone, but at night, Mulgi moaned and muttered, occasionally crying out in his sleep. These interruptions, coupled with their watch duties, meant that nobody woke feeling rested. During the day, as they made their way south, Eredin had spent most of her time conversing with, well, really just listening to, Gyrios, who had the capacity to talk for hours, recounting stories from his youth, ideas of philosophy, and parables pertaining to his religion. To her, it was all interesting. However, she couldn't help but notice that some of the others were beginning to avoid the cleric's company. Additionally, Gyrios's daily miracle of healing, although appreciated, had also put him at a distance. Here was proof that a mortal man was in a god's favor. It was quite disconcerting. Riley, who had been rude to him in the past, felt especially uncomfortable with Gyrios now. Many hours passed this way in conversation. The priest had developed a habit of self-consciously running his hand over his bald scalp, as if he expected to find his hair suddenly regrown. It doesn't look bad at all, Aradine told him. It kind of suits you. When she wasn't spending time with the cleric, she walked in contented silence with Harl, who seemed to gravitate to her like a piece of iron to a lodestone. It took Aradine some time to realize why she enjoyed the company of these two men so much. They wanted nothing from her. 
Every other man, even Kagan, Tor, and definitely Riley, had eyes that lingered on her form, just a little too long. After a time, they reached the outskirts of Burke. Even before they approached and passed by the North End Inn with its weathercock sign, the somehow reassuring sounds of woodsmen at their trade had reached their ears. But that feeling of reassurance began to fade for Aradine as they crossed the town and then trudged up the slow incline toward the armory. At the top, the jail cell, she noticed, was empty, as were the stocks. For the briefest of moments, she could clearly picture herself clamped inside one of them, helpless and on display. These thoughts ended quickly as the group went inside and Captain Tor held counsel with a man-at-arms stationed at the door. Sheriff Marlock will meet with Thurn and me alone. In the meantime, you seven can go to the mess. They'll make you a hot meal. We'll be along with the sheriff after we debrief. By the time lunch was served, the companions were salivating. They could smell it being prepared in the adjoining kitchen. The mess itself was mostly empty. Most of the men would be at training or other duties at this time. There were a few people in the room, however. Three grizzled soldier types sat at a table by the entrance, wordlessly playing at cards. These men were hard-eyed and older-looking than the men-at-arms they'd seen thus far in Burke. They didn't wear the oak and shield sigil either. Theirs depicted a sword, crossed with a sheaf of wheat. One of the men looked up at them as they entered, unblinking and slowly chewing on a piece of bread. A porter crossed the mess with two covered plates in his hands. After several minutes, he returned and delivered the food to the party's table. Lunch was black bread and salmon, with a hot bowl of peas porridge. Mugs of ale were distributed along with the food. They ate greedily, all except for Molgi, who merely nibbled at the bread and ignored the fish altogether. Presently, the door to the mess reopened, and a pair of guards came in with Tor, Thern, Marlock, and a fourth man in tow. Eredin had her back to them but felt another chill upon their entrance. She couldn't say exactly why. Kagan looked up from his meal and nodded to the men as they entered, one by one. Riley started to stand up until Marlock motioned him to retake his seat. Kagan thought that the three men he knew wore strange expressions. He couldn't tell what they were thinking, but they didn't look pleased. Thern looked concerned, but then the dwarf always looked that way, more or less. The fourth man was dressed in noble garb, he wore a black shirt, the puffed sleeves slashed with silver. A short cape, also lined with purple silk, hung over one shoulder in the fashion of Silmoral. He had a neatly groomed salt and pepper beard and straight black hair that fell to his shoulders. Good day, lords and ladies, said the man. Kagan noticed that he did not address the dwarves. He also noticed that Eredin stiffened the moment she heard his voice. She began to slowly look over her shoulder as he continued. My name is Maynard Magari. I'm sure at least one of you is familiar with that name. Isn't that so, Aradine of Rayford? Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. I really love reading your reviews on iTunes and other platforms. I'd like to share just one of these great reviews right now. Drew KTC writes, This D&D podcast feels like half audio drama, half actual play with an old-school RPG vibe. Super unique and awesome. The DM does a great job keeping the pace moving and explaining the rules and roles as the adventure progresses. Can't wait to hear more. Well, thank you very much, Drew KTC, for your kind words and for taking the time to review. I'll share another review next time. 
Today's voice acting talent was provided by Megumi of the Delagarden RPG Podcast. If you haven't checked out this podcast yet, do yourself a favor. They've got something special going on. The voice of Maynard Magari you may well recognize. It was supplied by Che Webster of the Essential Roleplay Rescue. This show is an absolute must-listen. Che, thank you so much for being a part of my show. I'm easy to find on Instagram or contact me on Twitter using at manticoretail. Taleofthemanticore at gmail.com is yet another way for us to get in touch. And we should. For rants, musings, show notes, and occasional maps, character sheets, tables, and other items related to the show, please visit taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure continues in the next chapter of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Join our adventurers as they discover how strange portals alter Revelheim. Do you hear that, Amesley? Our Lord Paylor blesses us. I didn't realize you worshipped a salesman. Actually, Marion, I'm pretty sure this is a dad. Rolling on Fate is an actual play D&D podcast. D&D? I love death caps and dish rags. Nurtrude, what's a podcast? It is an interdimensional sonic communication feed, Vanilla. Very simple. Nortrud, are you indicating that we're in trouble? <laughs> Pelias, did you hear that? I actually had a good one. Pelias? You can find Rolling on Fate every other Wednesday wherever you download podcasts. You mean podcasts. Taylor! A- anyone! I can't see! I I think I'm stuck in one of those podcasts. Rolling on Fate. Come to you with a dice, take us.